Part One of Lord Tedric. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. Lord Tedric by E. E. Smith. Part One. Scandos One, the Scandos of Time Track Number One, numbered for reasons which will become clear showed by means of the chronoviograph that civilization would destroy itself in 187 years to prevent this catastrophe he went back to the key point in time and sought out the key figure one tetric a lomarian ironmaster who had lived and died a commoner unable ever to do anything about his fanatical detestation of human sacrifice Skandos one taught tedric how to make one batch of super steel watched him forge armor and arms from that highly anachronistic alloy he watched him do things that tedric of time track one had never done time then did fork time track one was probably no longer in existence he must have been saved by his traction on the reality of time track two he'd snap back up to his own time and see what the situation was if he found his assistant Furman alone in the laboratory the extremists would have been proved wrong if not Furman was not alone instead Skandos two and Furman two were at work on a tri-d of Tedric's life so like and yet so wildly unlike the one upon which Skandos one and Furman one had labored so long shaken and undecided Skandos one held his machine at the very verge of invisibility and watched and listened but it's so maddeningly incomplete Skandos two snorted when it goes into such fine detail on almost everything else why can't we get how he stumbled onto one lot and never any other of high alloy steel chrome nickel vanadium molybdenum tungsten steel mortison's super steel to be specific which wasn't rediscovered for thousands of years why it was revealed to him by his personal god Losir, don't you remember Furman snickered poppycock to us yes but not to them hence no detail and you know why we can't go back and check of course we simply don't know enough about time but i would so like to study this lord of the marches at first hand nowhere else in all reachable time does any other one entity occupy such a uniquely key position so would i chief if we knew just a little more i'd say go in the meantime let's run that tri-d again to see if we've overlooked any little thing in the three-dimensional full-color projection armsmaster lord tedric destroyed the principal images of the monstrous god sarpedion and killed sarpedion's priests he rescued lady roan king phagon's eldest daughter from the sacrificial altar the king made him lord of the marches the highest of the high this part i like Furman pressed a stud the projector stopped 
a blood-smeared armored giant and a blood-smeared naked woman stood arms around each other beside a blood-smeared altar of green stone talk about being stacked <laughs> if i hadn't checked the data myself i'd swear you went overboard there chief exact likenesses life-size skandos too grunted tedric six four two thirty muscled just like that rowan six feet and half an inch one ninety the only time she ever appeared in the raw in public i guess but she didn't turn a hair what a couple Furman stared enviously we don't have people like that any more fortunately no he could split a full armored man in two with a sword she could strangle a tiger barehanded so what all the brains of the whole damned tribe boiled down into one wouldn't equip a half-wit oh i wouldn't say that Furman objected Fagon was a smooth shrewd operator in a way sometimes but committing suicide by wearing gold armor instead of high alloy steel doesn't show much brain power i'm not sure i'll buy that either there were terrific pressures but say Fagon had worn steel that day at middlemarch castle and lived ten or fifteen years longer my guess is that tedric would have changed the map of the world he wasn't stupid you know just bullheaded and Fagon could handle him he would have pounded a lot of sense into his skull if he had lived however he didn't live skandos returned dryly and so every decision tedric ever made was wrong but to get back to the point did you see anything new not a thing neither did i so go and see how 812 is doing for time test number 811 had failed and there was little ground for hope that number 812 would be any more productive and the lurking skandos one who had been studying intensively every aspect of the situation began to act it was crystal clear that time track two could hold only one skandos one of them would have to vanish completely immediately and permanently although in no sense a killer by instinct or training only one course of action was possible if his own life and as a matter of fact all civilization were to be conserved wherefore he synchronized and shot his unsuspecting double neatly through the head the living skandos changed places with the dead a timer buzzed briefly the time machine disappeared completely out of synchronization with any continuum that a world's keenest brain and an ultra-fast calculator could compute this would of course make another fork in time but that fact did not bother skandos one at all now as for tedric since the big dumb lug couldn't be made to believe that he skandos one was other than a god he'd be a god in spades he'd build an image of flesh-like plastic exactly like the copper statue tedric had made and go back and announce himself publicly as the god losir he'd come back along time track three of course and do away with skandos three 
There might have to be another interference, too, to get Tedrick started along the right time track. He could tell better after seeing what time track three looked like. If so, it would necessitate the displacement of Skandos four. So what? He had never had any qualms, and now that he had done it once, he had no doubt whatever as to his ability to do it twice more. Of the three standing beside Sarpedion's grisly altar, King Phagon was the first to become conscious of the fact that something should be done about his daughter's nudity. Flosnir, your cloak, he ordered sharply, and the Lady Rohan, unclamping her arms from around Tedric's armored neck and disengaging his steel-clad arm from around her waist, covered herself with the proffered garment. Partially covered, that is, for since the cloak had come to only mid-thigh on the courtier, and since she was a good seven inches taller than he, the coverage might have seemed to a prudish eye something less than adequate. Chamberlain Shillian, Captain Skyro, the king went on briskly, haul me this carrion to the river and dump it in. Put men to cleaning this place. Tis not seemly so. The designated officers began to bawl orders, and Tedric turned to the girl, who was still just about as close to him as she could get, awe, wonder, and relieved shock still plain on her expressive face. One thing, Lady Rowan, I understand not. You seem to know me, act as though I were an old tried friend. Tis vast honor. But how? You, of course, I know— have known and honored since you were a child but me a commoner you know not nor if you did couldst know who it was neath all this iron art wrong lord tedric nay not lord tedric henceforth you and i are tedric and rohan merely i have known you long and well would recognize you anywhere the few of the old, true blood stand out head and shoulders above the throng, and you stand out, even among them. Who else could it have been? Who else hath the strength of arm and soul, the inner and the outer courage? No coward I, Tedric, nor ever calls so. But on that altar, my very bones turned jelly. I could not have swung weapon against Sarpedion. I tremble yet at the bare thought of what you did. I know not how you could have done it. You feared the god, Lady Rohan, as do so many. I hated him. Tis not enough of explanation. And Rohan merely, Tedric, remember? Rohan, thanks, my lady. Tis an honor more real than your father's patent of nobility, but tis not fitting. I feel as much a commoner. Commoner? Bah! I ignored that word once, Tedric, but not twice. You are, and deservedly, the highest of the high. My father the king has known for long what you are. He should have ennobled you long since. Thank all the gods he had the wit to put it off no longer. "'Tis blood that tells, not empty titles. "'The throne can make and unmake nobility at will, "'but no power whatever can make true bloods out of mongrels, "'nor create real manhood where none exists. 
Tedrick did not know what to say in answer to that passionate outburst, so he changed the subject, effectively if not deftly. In speaking of the marches to your father the king, you mentioned the sages. What said they? At another time, perhaps. Lady Rowan was fast recovering her wonted cool poise. "'Tis far too long to go into while I stand here half-naked, filthy, and stinking. Let us on with the business at hand, which for me is a hot bath and clean clothing." Rowan strolled away as unconcernedly as though she were wearing full court regalia, and Tedric turned to the king. "'Thinks the Lady Tricy is nearby, sire?' If I know the jade at all, she is, Fagon snorted. And not only near, she's seen everything and heard everything, knows more about everything than either of us, or both of us together. Why? Thinks she'd make a good priestess? The best. Much more so, methinks, than the Lady Rohan. Younger, more, more priestess-like, say? Perhaps. Fagon was very evidently skeptical, but looked around the temple anyway. Tricy, he yelled. Yes, father, a soft voice answered, right behind them. The king's second daughter was very like his first in size and shape, but her eyes were a cerulean blue, and her hair, as long as thick as Rowan's own, had the color of ripe wheat. Aye, daughter. Wouldst like to be priestess of Losir? Oh, yes, she squealed, but sobered quickly. On second thought, perhaps not, no. If so be a sacrifice is done, I intend to marry some day and have six or eight children. But perhaps could I take it now and resign later, think you? Twould not be necessary, sire, and Lady Tricy, Tedric put in, while Fagon was still thinking the matter over. Losir is not at all like Sarpedion. Losir wants abundance and fertility and happiness, not poverty and sterility and misery. Losir's priestess marries as she pleases and has as many children as she wants. Your priestess, I then, sirs, I go to have cloth of gold robes made at once. The last words came floating back over her shoulder as Tricy raced away. Lord Tedric, sir. Unobserved, Skyro had been waiting for a chance to speak to his superior officer. Yes, Captain. Tis the men, the cleaning. They, we, I mean, Skyro of Old Lomar would not pass the buck. The bodies, the priests, you know, and so on, were easy enough, and we did manage to handle most of the pieces of the god. But the, uh, the heart, and so on, you know, we know not where you want them taken. And besides, we fear. We'll stand by and ward, Lord Tedric, while I pick them up. Tis my business, Captain Skyro, mine alone. I crave pardon for not attending to it sooner. Hast a bag? Yea. The highly relieved officer held out a duffel bag of fine, soft leather. Tedric took it, strode across to the place where Sarpedion's image had stood, and, not without a few qualms of his own, now that the frenzy of battle had evaporated, picked up Sarpedion's heart, liver, and brain, and deposited them, neither too carefully nor too carelessly, in the sack. 
then swinging the burden up over his shoulder i go to fetch the others he explained to the king then we hold sacrifice to end all human sacrifice hold tedric phagon ordered one thing or two or three methinks tis not seemly to conduct a thing so lacking order and organization and plan where dost propose to hold such an affair not in your ironworks surely certainly not sire tedric halted almost in mid-stride he hadn't got around yet to thinking about the operation as a whole but he began to do so then and certainly not on this temple or sarpedion's own lord Lucer is clean all our temples are foul in every stone and timber he paused then suddenly i have it sire the amphitheater the amphitheater tis well tis of little enough use and a shrine will not interfere with what little use it has wilt give orders to build the lord of marches issues his own orders ola shillin to me the monarch shouted and the chamberlain of the realm came on the run lord tedric speaks with my voice i hear sire lord tedric i listen have built at speed midway along the front of the amphitheatre on the very edge of the cliff a table of clean new quarried stone ten feet square and three feet high on it mount lord losir so firmly that he will stand upright forever against whatever may come of wind or storm the chamberlain hurried away so did tedric with his bag of spoils first to his shop where his armor was removed and where he scratched himself vigorously and delightfully as it came off thence to the temple of sarpedion where he collected the other somewhat lesser hallowed trio of the great one's vital organs then and belatedly to home and to bed a little later while the new-made lord of the marches was sleeping soundly the king's messengers rode furiously abroad spreading the word that ten days hence at the fourth period afternoon in lampor's amphitheatre great sarpedion would be sacrificed to losir lomar's new and ultra-powerful god the city of lampor lomar's capital lying on the south bank of the lotar some fifty miles inland from the delta nestled against the rugged breast of the coast range just outside the town's limit and some hundreds of feet above its principal streets there was a gigantic half bowl carved out of the solid rock by an eddy of some bygone age this was the amphitheater and on the very lip of the stupendous cliff descending vertically to the river so far below losir stood proudly on his platform of smooth clean granite tis not enough like a god methinks king phagon dressed now in cloth of gold eyed the gleaming copper statue very dubiously tis too much like a man by far tis exactly as i saw him sire tedric replied firmly nor was he consciously lying by this time he believed the lie himself losar is a man-god remember not a beast-god and tis better so but the time i set is here 
With your permission, sire, I begin. Both men looked around the great bowl. Nearby, but not too near, stood the priestess and half a dozen white-clad fifteen-year-old girls, one of whom carried a beaten gold pitcher full of perfumed oil, another a flaring open lamp wrought of the same material. Slightly to one side were Rowan, looking, if the truth must be told, as though she did not particularly enjoy her present position on the sidelines. Her mother, the queen, the rest of the royal family, and ranks of courtiers. And finally, much farther back, at a very respectful distance from their strange new god, arranged in dozens of more or less concentric, roughly hemispherical rows, stood everybody who had had time to get there. More were arriving, constantly, of course, but the flood had become a trickle. The narrow way, worming upward from the city along the cliff's dark side, was almost bare of traffic. "'Begin, Lord Tedric,' said the king. Tedric bent over, heaved the heavy iron pan containing the offerings up onto the platform, and turned. "'The oil, Priestess Lady Tricy, and the flame?' The acolyte handed the pitcher to Tricy, who handed it to Tedric, who poured its contents over the twin hearts, twin livers, and twin brains. Then the lamp, and as the yard-high flames leaped upward, the armored pseudo-priest stepped backward and raised his eyes boldly to the impassive face of the image of his god. Then he spoke, not softly, but in parade-ground tones audible to every one present. Take lord losir all the strength and all the power and all the force that sarpedion ever had use them we beg for good and not for ill he picked up the blazing pan and strode toward the lip of the precipice high mounting smoking flames curling backward around his armored figure and now in token of sarpedion's utter and complete extinction I consign these, the last vestiges of his being, to the rushing depths of oblivion. He hurled the pan and its fiercely flaming contents out over the terrific brink. This act, according to Tedric's plan, was to end the program, but it didn't. Long before the fiery mass struck water, his attention was seized by a long, low-pitched, moaning gasp from a multitude of throats, a sound the like of which he had never before even imagined. He whirled and saw, shimmering in a cage-like structure of shimmering bars, a form of seeming flesh, so exactly like the copper image in every detail of shape that it might well have come from the same mold. "'Lord Losir, in the flesh!' Tedric exclaimed, and went to one knee. So did the king and his family, and a few of the bravest courtiers. Most of the latter, however, and the girl acolytes, and the thronging thousands of spectators, threw themselves flat on the hard ground. They threw themselves flat, but they did not look away, or close their eyes, or cover their faces with their hands. On the contrary, each one stared with all the power of his optic nerves. The god's mouth opened, 
His lips moved, and although no one could hear any sound, everyone felt words resounding throughout the deepest recesses of his being. I have taken all the strength, all the power, all the force, all of everything that made Sarpedion what he was, the god began. In part his pseudo-voice was the resonant clang of a brazen bell, in part the diapason harmonies of an impossibly vast organ. I will use them for good, not for ill. I am glad, Tedric, that you did not defile my hearth, for this is a hearth, remember, and in no sense an altar, in making this the first and the only sacrifice ever to be made to me. You, Trice, are the first of my priestesses. The girl, shaking visibly, gulped three times before she could speak. Yea, my, my, my lord, Losir, she managed finally. That, uh, that, that is, if I please you, lord, sir. You please me, Trice of Lomar. Nor will your duties be onerous, being only to see to it that your maidens keep my hearth clean and my statue bright. To you, my lord, Lord Losir, sir, all thanks. Wilt keep? Trice raised her downcast eyes and stopped short in mid-sentence, her mouth dropping ludicrously open, and her eyes becoming two round O's of astonishment. The air above the yawning abyss was as empty as it had ever been. The flesh and blood god had disappeared as instantaneously as he had come. Tedric's heavy voice silenced the murmured wave of excitement sweeping the bowl. "'That is all,' he bellowed. "'I did not expect the Lord Losir to appear in the flesh at this time. I know not when or ever he will deign to appear to us again. But this I know. Whether or not he ever so deigns or when, you all know now that our great Lord Losir lives. Is it not so?' "'Tis so! Long live, Lord Losir! Tumultuous yelling filled the amphitheater. "'Tis well. In leaving this holy place, all will file between me and the shrine, first our king, then the lady priestess Trice and her maids, then the family, then the court, then the rest. All men, as they pass, will raise sword-arms in salute, all women will bow heads. Will be naught of offerings or of tribute or of fractions. Lord Losir is a god, not a huckstering, thieving, murdering trickster. King Fagon, sire, wilt lead? Unhelmed now, Tedric stood rigidly at attention before the image of his god. The king did not march straight past him, but stopped short. Taking off his ornate headpiece and lifting his right arm high, he said, To you, Lord Losir, my sincere thanks for what hast done for me, for my family, and for my nation. While tis not seemly that Lomar's king should beg, I ask that you abandon us not. Then Trice and her girls. We engage, Lord Sir, the lady priestess said at a whispered word from Tedric to keep your hearth scrupulously clean, your statue shining bright. Then the queen, followed by Lady Rowan, 
who although she bowed her head meekly enough was shooting envious glances at her sister so far ahead and so evidently the cynosure of so many eyes the rest of the family the court the thronging spectators and last of all tedrick himself helmet tucked under left arm he raised his brawny right arm high executed a stiff left face and marched proudly at the rear of the long procession as the people made their way down the steep and rugged path as they debouched through the city of lompar as they traversed the highways and byways back to the towns and townlets and farms from which they had come it was very evident that losir had established himself as no other god had ever been established throughout the long history of that world great losir had appeared in person everyone there had seen him with his own eyes everyone there had heard his voice a voice of a quality impossible for any mortal being human or otherwise to produce a voice heard not with the ears which would have been ordinary enough but by virtue of some hitherto completely unknown and still completely unknowable inner sense or ability evocable only by the god everyone there had heard sensed him addressed the lord arms master and the lady priestess by name other gods had appeared personally in the past or had they really nobody had ever seen any of them except their own priests the priests who performed the sacrifices and who fattened on the fractions losir now wanted neither sacrifices nor fractions and powerful although he was had appeared to and had spoken to every one alike of however high or low degree throughout the whole huge amphitheatre everyone not to the priestess only not only to those of the old blood not only to citizens or natives of lomar but to everyone down to mercenaries chance visitors and such long live lord losair our new and plenipotent god end of part one